Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to Seeds Podcast. I'm really glad you could join me as we're going to be speaking with Kirsty Allett this week. And we have a really great conversation about a wide variety of topics, but we really focus in on human resources and the idea of career transitions. What is it that makes us happy in our jobs? And if we're not happy, what does it take to look at other options? Kirsty gives us some really practical tools when it comes to that. And given COVID and all the other things that are going on right now, I think there's a lot of content that many of you will find really helpful. If you enjoy this, then if you're a new listener and in a podcast app, why not hit subscribe? And why not tell one other person about this show? That's really the only way for it to grow. So I really appreciate your direct involvement in helping to tell others about it. And don't forget that last week was the release of the book, Laying Foundations for Reimagining Business. And the last episode is the audiobook of that, but you can also download a print copy for yourself as well. So make sure you check that out. Also, don't forget that there's a couple hundred episodes of Seeds, so you might want to check out some of the earlier content if you enjoy this. Now let's get straight into this interview with Kirsty. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Kirsty Allett from Vargo Lewis to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. We've known each other quite a while, yeah. and I'm really curious about the area that you're working in, which is really looking at human resources and human dynamics in the workplace. Yeah. So I know we're going to have quite a deep conversation, because we were talking before we started, and we're going to get into that. But mm. I'd love to start with people with an opening question, mm. which is, tell me about your childhood. What was it like when you were, say, four or five years years old okay. where were you living yeah. and yeah what was life like for you um i'm a southern girl so i'm from invercargill okay uh so i spent my whole childhood down there uh, i literally came to christchurch when i came for university so yeah my whole family's from either invercargill or um, Dunedin. Mm-hmm. So yeah, real southern kind of family. Lived in Invercargill that whole time. Around four and five, lived in sort of a, I don't know, a southern area of the town, which was certainly not, you know, wealthy in any way. My dad traveled a lot for work. Mum didn't work until my brother and I were at school, uh, mm-hmm. an older brother. Yeah, so it was a lot about family, really. And my whole childhood was really about that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And when you meet people, because there's sort of a accent a slight accent the r sound isn't there <laughs> yeah if yeah. you hear people I do you go <laughs> you, you lost it <laughs> i think coming to christchurch and having a name with an r in it uh-huh. <laughs> um all i got when i came up to university was oh yeah from down south right um because it was kirsty and so i think i just subconsciously got really conscious of it and uh, have lost it but most of my family when you see them and actually weirdly my son <laughs> has got this really strong uh oh really yeah yeah oh. but um yeah people don't pick it up in me anymore yeah oh that's interesting yeah but i wonder like if you hear people if you're like oh i know oh, yeah <laughs> yeah definitely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And especially some of my family who are still down south or in sort of central otago area they're really strong with their and it's yeah. always, it feels really comforting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It. It's amazing how accents develop, you know, even within a country like New Zealand, that there would mm. be a little pocket that has this you know, unique little yeah. phrasing, right? And I remember even coming up to university and finding a lot of people who had come down from like Nelson, Marlborough kind of area, and they had a really different way of speaking to us as well. So I was like, mm. oh, I could pick up where those people were from just as much as I could pick up where kind of my crew were from. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, oh, everyone's got great. their different little kind of ways of talking even within New Zealand. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned that your family had been based down there for a long time. Yeah. Um, was that like going back generations? Like, yeah. you, you know, grandparents and, and that? or Yeah, or yeah absolutely. So um, my dad actually really loves getting into all of the background of his family. So his family's from Dunedin and they had come in on, you know, some of the early boats and had been there for a long time great Scottish heritage so had all of that kind of coming through and my grandmother was pretty much the same down in Invercargill so um, I never got to meet my granddad from my mum's side but my um, my grandmother was from a farm they still had a lot of their family members were still farmers um, we didn't have one but um, but that, that was where we would go and visit you know cousins and stuff were out on the farms and mm-hmm. and they'd been there for such a long time and lived very basic lives um, it was all about like my grandmother's house. She lived on the front section until she subdivided to build her townhouse on the back section, which had been the vegetable garden, you know, for my whole mum's life. Like they'd lived on one 
plot of land in Invercargill. Right. So, you know, it was very basic like that. It was providing for themselves. Um, my mum's dad died when she was 18, so um, and she was the oldest of three girls. So she, you know, and her mum kind of then helped to provide for the family. They made a baking business really early on and catering business to be able to help, um, you know, provide for the family. And that's kind of the way it's always been. It's like you do what you do for your family. You do things for friends. My parents are still very much like that. Hmm big part of you know rotary and that kind of stuff to, they're always looking to who can they feed who can they help who can they make things for or do things for right. and that's kind of goes back to what i see my grandparents were like as well wow uh, very much that's that amazing isn't it I, I love those sort of stories where you can see even echoing through the generations yeah that there's a certain mentality or a way of being that yep. that gets passed on and particularly if it's positive right yeah <laughs> that's, yeah that's that's great yeah absolutely yeah. um you know i think every family has um the trials and tribulations but a lot of the things that i've seen from my family have been always about helping people you know trying to do things for others living quite basically I'm probably a bit of a black sheep compared to some of the people in my family but um yeah there's some really awesome things that got embedded in me from a really early age yeah and so just talk us through sort of primary school years then and you know what yeah. sort of things were you into and yeah uh, well actually we were just talking about you know kids with you know wanting to do every I want my children to try lots of different things that was what my childhood was like my parents gave me lots of opportunities and I know missed out on things themselves to mm. give my brother and I opportunities so we would try different sports and try different activities but what I fell in love with was dance so I got into dancing when I was four um, I basically stopped it once I was working full time um, like wow. it went that whole way through my life and it was a really important part of my life so um, you know it was most days of the week by the time I was in high school I was dancing or teaching dancing or doing competitions or shows or whatever it was right. um, and even when I came up here I stopped for a bit and then was like, I really miss it. So got back into doing some stuff. Um, did it as like at hospitality kind of things where they had, you know, entertainment. <laughs> Sounds really dodgy. Not bad entertainment. <laughs> um, so, yeah, did that. And then actually once I got into working was like, I want to spend more time back dancing again. So I joined a dance group. And we ended up going to a world competition in Prague when I was 23 and then wow. kind of was like, okay, I probably should grow up now <laughs> and do some other stuff. But dance really was like my thing. Um, and that was what my life revolved around, basically. Wow. Yeah. And dance is it's such a, a big umbrella term. Yeah. Was there a particular... Yeah, it's always a bit hard to describe. So it was yeah. ballet at start, okay. um, you know, great kind of for all the fundamentals that you need to have. And then it was kind of jazz, modern type stuff. Um, so it was always in that kind of just mainstream kind of things it wasn't I mean I've tried everything but it wasn't a lot of like Irish or Highland or tap or anything like that it was pretty much modern um, mm. and jazz dance and, um, yeah and what did you what do you love about dance oh I, I mean I never thought of it as exercise which is the thing I noticed as an adult when I stopped <laughs> but I was like oh that was exercise uh, that was really good for my body but I, I don't know it was just a passion for me it was one of those things that just felt great when I did it mm. um I still I can turn the music on and dance with my boys and just love it um I should do that more actually because it's just something that feels great music's great mm. you know it's fun and then also the competition side I loved so I loved working towards a goal being able to you know do really well at the thing that I did it's kind of how I do life. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not really one for, I'll just dabble in that. Yeah. yeah. And the competitions, was that, how, was it like a group of you on stage? Both. or how, yeah. yeah. A lot of it was individual. Okay. Um, so it was, you know, you'd do your own, some of it, the ones I loved were impromptu, so you would literally hear a piece of music and you go out and dance to it. Mm. Um, so you make it up as you go kind of stuff, which was probably the most open you could be yeah. um, as opposed to a you know pre-prepared dance that you'd, you'd practice for weeks and you know that was what you did every spare minute that you had mm. um, but the same with duos um, and then into groups as well so mm. yeah it was great like the group we had that went to Prague was uh, eight of us um, and a mix of guys and girls uh, and that was awesome because that was kind of what I was at I was like I want to do this for social as well as for the physical side of it and just loving what we're doing. So, yeah. 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 Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And was part of it about the performing it? Was that a big part or was it more just the, the actual movements and the actually, I, you know, feeling the music? And I don't know. I never really thought of it as a kid about it being the performing part. Mm. I certainly didn't shy away from the performing part, but um, 
I think when you got a part in a production or something where you were like the main part or the, this kind of solo piece that you got to kind of stand out always felt pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, but it was about, you know, you're obviously good enough to be in that kind of position. I think that was part of it for me. Yeah. Um, rather than necessarily being like, hey, everyone look at me. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I kind of um, have learned the word recently, ambivert, and I think that's me. Uh-huh. So an extrovert, but also I like time alone. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think that's probably what it's always been. I don't need to be seen of attention, but I'm also not uncomfortable being in front of a room. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which has actually been a big change as an adult as well. I used to hate talking in front of people, and nowadays it's like, oh, cool. Just do it. Who's there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what am I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I interviewed um, someone named Peter Wells now a couple of years ago, and he was a dancer performer mm-hmm. on stage. Mm-hmm. And he described the feeling for him. I think he loved the, the physical side of it as well, but mm-hmm. he also loved the feeling of a connection with the audience mm-hmm. that he described like performing and being on stage and looking out and seeing the people and like being almost at one with them. You know, yeah. like it was a, it was a relationship across that that breached the the barrier of the yeah. stage yeah you know? i completely get that but for me i pretty much didn't even notice people were there right <laughs> i was in my own world yeah. <laughs> it wasn't about like cool look at me or i mm-hmm. feel you there it was like i'm just here doing my thing and i'm having a great time and, i'm enjoying and, this yeah, and just you happen it. to be here yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great <laughs> and did you have any I, I don't know that much about uh who the heroes of dance would be Mm. were there any people that you looked at and thought look at the level that they've gotten to within ballet or another area not particularly famous people it was more like if you saw someone you know if you saw someone from Invercargill that had gone off to a ballet school or kind of to go to be a professional dancer it was Mm. like wow I'd love to do that like to spend your days doing the things you loved would just be the ultimate um but also knowing that that's a really hard road and it's very few people that ever get there. So I never really thought of it as being something I'd ever have a career in. Mm. Um, in fact, I would have loved to have just had, I, I always reflect back and think I'd love to have taken a gap year and just done a dance school kind right. of situation for a year. Um, but that wasn't sort of the expectation or the the kind of the norm. It was at that point it was, right, you've finished school, now you go to university. Mm. Um hindsight's wonderful so to have actually gone actually I'm going to detour from that and take a year out to do the thing I love Mm. before I get into what I'm going to do next would have been cool but that wasn't a conversation I was having with anyone at the time so so yeah the people I looked up to were quite local people or you know just yeah like even your teachers and things because you'd find that they'd been off and done these amazing things and then come back and started a dance school or something so Mm. that was pretty cool yeah I think you're right as well just to highlight it that as we get older we probably look back and realize there's gaps or there's there's times in life when you can go off and do things yeah but sometimes you're not told about those opportunities at the time yeah. you know, like being 18 or 19 yeah. or whatever and it's like yeah. your life is in front of you and you know you don't need that much money to survive like mm. that's the time to kind of go and try different things for me when I was 21 I moved to Japan and was there for a year yeah. and I think that shaped me a lot more than yeah, studying at Canterbury University you yeah. know it's like looking back which which was more valuable, five years at university or one year doing this other kind yeah. of random teaching English thing? Yeah. So, yeah. It's I think that's so awesome to have done something like that. I was always too scared to do anything like that. So, mm. I, like, I have never worked and lived overseas. I've always been based here. I've loved to travel. Once I got traveling, I was like, damn it, I really should have done that. <laughs> done the whole thing. But I was, that to me was really daunting. Mm. And I don't know if that's part of coming from a small town as well that you sort of go, oh, you know, this big city move to Christchurch was a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I'm interested in that because you mentioned sort of ex- expectations and mm. like because Dunedin's a lot closer like <laughs> yeah. it, w- was there a, oh, a yeah. sense of like okay here's the next step this was a big was move that, yeah yeah, yeah it's, you're yeah. moving far away <laughs> yeah um it was it was a really purposeful move for me so right. um I knew that uh basically Invercargill moves to Dunedin mm-hmm. <laughs> when you finish um uh school down there and I wanted something different mm-hmm. um Partly a good old teenage situation with my mum. I was like, I want to be further away and kind of be, you know, freer from my family and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they were at all <laughs> bad parents, but, you know, that you just sort of wanted that opportunity to be a bit further away than two hours up the road. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, actually, my it turned out that my dad got made redundant for the third time in three years down in Chicago. It was at a time when it was not, not doing that great down there. And so he ended up getting a job in Christchurch after I'd sort of decided this is where I was going to come right. to. So then I was like, hmm. <laughs> Okay, this wasn't really the plan, yeah. <laughs> um, but it couldn't have worked out better because once I got here, um, I actually, a lot of things I've learned as I've got older is I look back on that and think, I got here and I really freaked out 
um, it was a big change because I'd left. Like, not only was I moving, but my family had also moved away. So my family kind of base wasn't there anymore. Right. Um, friends had gone in all different directions. Um, all the things that I loved, like my dancing and stuff, was all connected down there. So it was like, what am I actually doing? Like, why did I do this? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so actually having my parents here at that time was awesome. Um, I'd already signed up to go into halls of residence, so that was great as a way to meet people and stuff. Mm. But, you know, when the menu was awful on a Sunday, I'd take a car full of kids home to my parents' place yeah, for dinner. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> mum loves to be able to feed people. That would, so, that would um, make you very popular as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was like they'd always sort of be like, are you going home this home week? Home-cooked. Yeah, cool, okay, good. <laughs> you know, the meatloaf that was sort of all the leftovers from the week um, wasn't so attractive as mum's roast. So, yeah, mm. it was pretty cool to kind of do that. But... Um, it was quite a purposeful wanting to get further away. And then, you know, as you do with these grand ideas as a teenager, you then go, actually, there's some pretty cool stuff about my family and about having them close by mm. and, and having some comfort that I hadn't even really thought about. So yeah. I, ca- I chose Canterbury because I wanted to do speech-language therapy. Okay. Because it was the only place you could do it in, Canterbury, in New Zealand. So it gave me a legitimate excuse to come to Christchurch rather than Dunedin. And the week before I started, I was like, why am I doing that? I don't like... <laughs> I can't speak properly now, so that wouldn't be a great thing for me to do. Um, So I just thought, okay, I'll do a commerce degree. Mm. And I was good at accounting at school, so obviously I had, you know, some stuff I could do with that. So I pulled out of the speech-language therapy course, which is a limited entry course for the second year. So I was like, someone who actually really wants to be doing this should be doing it instead of me anyway, rather than taking up space. Not that I would have necessarily got through that, but that was kind of my thinking. But I kept the psych paper that I had signed up for for that course and that's really got me started into where my career then headed so Mm. I did accounting and HR um, at Canterbury Mm -hmm. um, and didn't need to be here for that at all could have been anywhere (laughs) but that's the way things have worked out yeah that's the way life is isn't it it's a little series of decisions and steps that seem inconsequential at the time but then later on you look back and you know the fact that you kept the psych paper yeah I'm sure we're about to get into this you know like yeah. what what you do today and things so yeah yeah that's really interesting yeah mm. it definitely um prompted a lot of interest in going actually I really enjoy understanding people and what's driving them and what's going on there mm. um and HR seemed to be the way to be able to do that without having to do a whole nother kind of um you know industrial psych type degree and stuff because by the time I was finished having gone straight from school to university by the time I finished my three years of a basic degree I was like I'm out I'm done I don't want to do this anymore um which again is one of those things you look back on now and go should have just done that little bit extra then it would have been easier than Mm. trying to go back and do it now so how does that how does that fit together because you did a commerce degree Mm -hmm. but then with psychology as well yeah so it was an accounting and HR major so the the psych led into some kind of um, people management papers and stuff which they actually now have as a specific course at the time they didn't okay um it was a couple of years ago yeah yeah. that's interesting (laughs) yeah so that's where I, i got i had worked at an accountant through school um had done that at school as well so um i got a job up here through university um working at grant thornton actually okay and then they offered me a job when it finished so i was like well i'd be silly not to continue down that track you know you don't come out of university and turn down a job if you'd studied and <laughs> qualifications yeah and, yeah um so they gave me a couple of options one being um audit and one being BAS, so your usual kind of accounting um doing the books and i chose to do audit which people always kind of look at me and go really what? <laughs> you did that yeah yeah i did and it was purposeful at the time because i wanted to get out and see what different businesses looked like what did mm. they do um and that's what audit was i was out you know i was in the the back blocks of businesses where you keep all your old records and ticking things off with my green pen Mm. Um, and I did that for a couple of years and I actually I had a manager who said to me that I seemed really unhappy and it was extremely insightful and it's the kind of conversations I now encourage people to have within their own you know Mm. workplaces because that gave me confidence to say actually I'm not this isn't for me for the long term I always knew it was short term but I really wanted to get into doing the stuff that I felt was more me. Mm. Uh, And they were really supportive of that. Uh, And that's, I mean, you know, we'll talk a bit more about that as we go through, but that that was a real turning point for me in my career to go, actually, there's people who can be supportive of you being in the wrong place at the wrong time Mm. and go, actually, how do we help you find that better place? And it's better for them and you. So tell me about that conversation because I'm curious because – that that is a hard conversation to have with somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what were you feeling 
at that time or did it come as a shock when they said are you happy or um it was a performance review okay (laughs) (laughs) great time to have those conversations um i was 22 um and i was quite emotionally immature i feel now when i reflect back and i just Mm. ended up in a puddle of tears and i just was like yep no you're right i'm not happy i was finding it really hard um just the dynamics of the team. Um, I had a manager who was really quite micromanager mm-hmm. approached, um, was quite paternalistic as well. So was sort of trying to parent me through things and I was getting really agitated by that. Um, I wanted to be competent and capable and doing my own thing, which is kind of what I've always done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, so when he raised it, it was in my performance review and I was like, actually, yeah, I've got a it's a good call. Get on to yeah. the thing that I need to do. And so they were like, okay, what do you need to do to do that? Um, mm. So when I had, you know, interviews to go to and stuff, they were like, yeah, cool. I didn't have to go. I'm sick today. You know, like yeah, most right. people do in this kind of, you know, you lose your integrity when it's time to change jobs <laughs> because you're all of a sudden lying about where you are and what you're doing. Um, it was really open. Yeah. 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 And they cool. did, you know, reference for me and everything as well. And, and we're happy to go, look, you know, she's not really happy here anymore and we can tell, but she knows what she wants to be doing so it was yeah. it was very honest yeah so yeah. you did know what you wanted to be doing yeah well I knew point? I wanted to get into HR yeah and the hard thing with HR was people wanted you to have experience mm-hmm. so and I still have people saying this to me now how do I get into HR because I don't have experience but they want you to have experience how do you get the experience <laughs> it's this right. kind of catch-22 um, so I was looking at like recruitment roles and that sort of stuff which again they still wanted you to have experience um, and I ended up getting a role at um, Mainland Products, which is now part of Fonterra. So um, here in Christchurch is the Meadowfresh site down on Blenheim Road. It's got all the big tubs of yogurt on the side Mm -hmm. um, and one of the milk plants. Um, That was where I got my first role. So HR coordinator in there. I was supporting three HR managers across the country doing all the kind of HR admin side Mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just struck it completely lucky with the person that I worked with directly here. So she was um, the head of the dairy side of the business from an HR perspective. And she was an awesome mentor. She was, you know, gave me honest feedback. She gave me great, great opportunities. She took me to the next place she worked because, you know, we worked really well together. We still keep in touch now. Um, and it was really, I put that a lot down to luck. And I'm sure there's more to it than that. But I would just happen to get that role at the right time with the right person as well that led to really the next couple of steps in mm. my career. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And you, the psychology side of things at university, had mm. that ended up being a bit in the HR side of yeah. training yeah. as well? Yeah, okay. so there was... So um, you've done some, you knew, yeah. you knew quite a lot. A bit of the employment law side of things and you know just some general kind of admin stuff that were, I can't remember what the papers were called back then, but they now have specifically HR papers. Um, but yeah, it was a mixture of all sorts of different papers that basically gave you aspects of that but it was called a, a double major in accounting and HR so I can't remember what the papers were now as I say a couple of years ago but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah there was definitely aspects of that that came into it you had to have a kind of an understanding of you know some of the employment relations side of things and yeah. health and safety and all that kind of stuff which yeah. is now obviously kind of its own career in itself yeah, yeah. it's an amazing topic just riffing off of that just psychology itself you yeah know, like, why, oh, yeah. do, why do people do what they do? And I can imagine it would be intriguing to come in as a young person and then studying it mm. because, uh, you know, even our, even for ourselves, I think we tell ourselves stories about why we do what we do. Mm. I, I had a story that I've told myself for a long time, which was about becoming a lawyer mm-hmm. and why I do what I do. And mm. then I've realized as I've gotten older, when I look at my own parents mm. and who they were, a little bit like what you were saying, yeah. you know, my parents were people, they joined the Peace Corps in the 1960s mm. and they went out to help people in Chile, mm. you know, with their cooperatives and things. And what am I doing today? I'm often helping sort of not-for-profits, charities, for-purpose businesses. You know, mm. like I think there's something that, you look back on it's there's mm. echoes of what is it that makes us and and why do we do what we do it's oh, and, and it's such a major part of life now because a lot of it comes through in social media you know the 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 subtleties of messages that you're getting through there that start to um, mm. change your psyche at the time when I was doing it social media wasn't even a thing right so yeah. um, we were talking about marketing from a, a traditional perspective you know how are you advertising things how are you doing you know this kind of how do you get to the core of getting people to be motivated towards your product or towards 
the thing you're wanting from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, it's kind of a lot of what I do now when I'm doing the behaviour profiling side of things that you know we've talked about before is mm. actually understanding the different kind of styles that people have and why they're motivated towards different things and not just their behaviour profile, their motivators, their emotional intelligence, their culture, so many different aspects come into all of that. And to have one approach to think that that's going to work to get everybody on board clearly is like everyone realises I think that that's not going to work. But how do you understand what's happening behind the scenes? Um, because even from a career perspective, what you're talking about with, you know, kind of even just thinking about going to what you're doing to help people because that's where your parents kind of had been. We see a lot of people now who go into career paths because that's what their parents have encouraged them to do. Whether it's the same thing that their parents did or something completely different, but their parents have gone, I think you need to do this because it's seen to be with a great status or a great income or a great future Mm. or all these different kind of things. And actually kids get really confused because it's like, well, mum and dad who I really respect and trust and and they've they've got a lot more of the world behind them than I've got are telling me I should go and do this thing most parents wouldn't even know half the roles that are out there these days that are possible Mm. to go into and they've had an experience from their own version of life that tells them these things are good roles or bad roles or where the future's going Um, I've done a really awesome course this year called um, strategic foresight and futures thinking and and actually going what is the world going to turn into in the next 20 30 40 years Mm -hmm. Um, recently used it with um, a client to go where does your industry kind of move in the next 20 30 years and the roles that we're looking at and talking about don't exist yet so how we can try and send children into a certain career path thinking you're going to be xyz like, but those roles probably won't look like what they look like now. Mm. You know, for anyone who used to go to the post shop with their cheque um, or the bank with their cheque, the cheques don't exist anymore. The bank, the post offices don't exist anymore. The banks are constantly changing. You know, all these roles that were kind of, you know, roles that a lot of people held mm. don't exist like they did before. Accounting roles have changed. Um, and there's going to be more and more of that. There's more automation. There's more you know, just change in how we do things. Um, so it's a really tricky one from a career perspective with young people to be able to go, well, what are the things you're actually interested in? Mm. You know, know that it might be a starting point, but it's certainly not going to be your end point. Yeah. It's not realistic to have one career path anymore. Yeah. One yeah. of the things that I'm trying to do with the podcast is model the use of the word curious. Mm. So I'll often phrase my questions with, I'm just curious, da, da, da. And the reason is that I think that there's some skills which are transferable across every type of job. Yeah. And one of them is curiosity, you know, mm. that you're willing to learn. The other one um, that I've noticed is that like when we were going to school, probably similar era, mm. you know, like you memorized these things, you memorized the yeah. dates and the facts, and that's how you got the good mark. Yeah. You know, you're rewarded for your memory ability. But the reality is we've both got our phones here on the table, you know, yeah. like you yeah. can use Google, you can find things so quickly. And actually, it's more about cultivating the right attitudes for people. Mm. And I've been encouraged by some of the things my kids are learning, particularly they've been learning about gross mindset. Yes. You know, like that it's the gross mindset, that that's the key. I can't do it yet, you know, and and that's how you want your... um, Yeah, if, if the children can be taught that, then it doesn't really matter which particular specialty they get into mm. if they can take that attitude with them mm, absolutely like my kids oh my my kids are six and eight so I've got two boys six and eight and um you know just watching them learn things and and learn them um in a different way from what we did the way they're actually learning like how to do maths is different from how we did but mm. in the first year for my eight-year-old he had um a session around emotional intelligence uh and around the amygdala and what is the amygdala, what is the impact that it has, and the fact that we can use that in a conversation at home. I mean, I didn't know anything about an amygdala until I was in my 30s and doing my coaching training, which was around uh, from the Neuroleadership Institute. So it was actually about how does your brain work and talking about growth mindset and how to kind of Mm. move into that sort of forward state rather than focusing on the problem. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, when he's having one of those moments where you can see the emotions taking over and he's kind of losing control, um, like all children do, (laughs) especially with your brother, um, I'll say to him, what's happening? And it's become (laughs) a game. And he'll be like, oh, the amygdala. And and so he'll stop and think about it. Mm. And I'll say to him, what do you need to do about that? And he'll stop and take some deep breaths. Um, and we can do that together and then he can kind of, you know, reset and get, get, you know, trying to get the prefrontal cortex back into play, right? So it's actually something physiologically happening in your brain. This is scientifically proven that this is what's happening. But he's learning about it at the age of five. Mm. I'm like, this is the stuff that's really useful at a school you know, situation to go, here's a life skill that if you learn early enough, 
um, you can actually use throughout your life. Because I work with adults in a coaching situation now that I'm like, you haven't got control of that amygdala. You yeah. know, the, the control just goes out the window when the emotions take over. Mm. Um, that was certainly no conversation I'd had before I was, you know, well into my adults. Yeah. <laughs> adult years. So, yeah. No, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's amazing to think about. And I think, like you say, the planning for the future careers, you know, 40 years from now or whatever, it's going to be completely different to yeah. what it was 40 years ago. Um, so it needs to be something that is flexible and you know teaching the skills that will be transferable and yeah and i think the other thing is that traditionally it might have been like okay you're going to be that thing mm. for the next 40 years or whatever yeah. yeah and that thing is all that you'll do mm. not not in a bad way but you know you're gonna you're gonna show up at you know nine and you can go home at five and and yeah. that's your career yeah and that's what you're good at whereas these days i'm sure you're seeing it as well that people are jumping from they started here and now they're over here mm. and they're doing this and mm. you know like that you might in a in a lifetime you might actually have six or seven different careers using the traditional terms of career you know and, yeah and that's going to become even more crossover i think yeah and we're seeing there's a lot of career work happening at the moment because people are reevaluating. um you know the, the great resignation that everyone's hearing about at the moment the the big quit that uh, australia like to call it mm-hmm. um People are reevaluating and making decisions about their future, and and they're going actually, you know, just because I've been an accountant doesn't mean I'm only an accountant. Um, uh, there's a lady that I've um, follow um, who had an accounting business and now owns multiple businesses and teaches adult sort of financial literacy kind of stuff. Um, so she has nothing to do with actually, you know, doing the accounts or doing the books for people anymore. Um, but she's used her skill set to, to do different things, to use her knowledge in a different way. Uh, and that's what we see more and more people doing. But often the feedback we get from people is, I look at that stuff and it feels too big. I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the transferable skills, even just thinking about that, we're all so hard on ourselves. Mm. Oh, I'm not really good at anything. Oh, I don't really have any what we like to term our superpowers. Sure. We all have superpowers. We all have something we're really awesome at. So how do we build on that? And how do we recognise it? And if we're not recognising it in ourselves, who can we get to give us that reflection? Yeah. You know, we still find a lot of businesses aren't great at giving people feedback, useful feedback that's not just here's the KPI that needs to be met and this is how you, you know, yes, you've achieved it or no, you haven't and let's set next year's ones. It's mm. like... Let's talk broader than that. Let's talk about what is it that this person's bringing to the team that you can build on. And, you know, traditional career paths don't have to be the only way to go anymore. Mm. All the time we see technically brilliant people who end up in management positions. Mm. That shouldn't be. Mm. And it's a really hard position to back out of. Yeah. Even once you're there and you have this recognition, you go... Ah oh, well, I'm going to look pretty dumb if I kind of pull out of this now, or like I've failed, or you know whatever. So I'll keep doing it, yeah. um, even if I'm horrendously unhappy, even if I'm not doing the best that I can for my team. Um, why can't we have those honest conversations? Yeah. Um, the one that I had with my manager, you know, back 20 years ago, is like that would be really useful, mm. and for it not to be a bad thing to go. I tried it, and it wasn't for me. Um, how do you get a taster of that on the way through? How do you? go, I've got an idea of what I think I want to do, but how do I test that without going all in? Um, How do you identify where you might want to get a bit of experience or trial something within a business without having to go, I've had to shift from one whole team to another? Um, So having some of that realisation. But feedback from others can be hugely valuable. I've been doing some workshops this year with a team of people who are going through a massive change process for their whole industry. Um, And sitting beside each other they're like watching what each other are choosing in terms of their kind of strengths and and attributes and and they're going why haven't you put this one like that's one of the things I go to you for because you're so much better at it than me they're going oh really oh Mm -hmm. oh, I wouldn't have thought that oh thanks for the feedback you know (laughs) so why don't we do that more Mm. um and yeah having this realization all of a sudden that actually I don't want to be a manager because that's just the next logical step that might pay me more but it's actually I want to do the thing that I really love and that I'm really good at and how do I get recognition for that in a different way? Mm. How can I talk to my manager about creating a technical role that is giving me some status or giving me a new challenge or giving me an opportunity to train people but doesn't have me doing the admin yeah. of being a manager? Yeah, yeah, and the challenging thing of what you're saying is that there is some effort required there. You know, like I'm thinking from an employer perspective or a manager's perspective, actually seeing the people 
and and then taking the time to give them the compliment or or have those hard discussions or mm. things like that mm. um, but ultimately that's going to lead to a much more generative environment of a workplace isn't it if well, if you have that attitude yeah. and that um you get engagement. You get engagement from people who are happy doing what they're doing and having conversations that are important to them and that are talking about what is it that they're really looking for. Um, that otherwise they sit there disgruntled or not talking about things or don't feel that anyone cares about them. But the thing that we've been doing in our business is trying to move it to you can create those conversations for yourself. You don't wait for your manager to have right. those conversations. Yep. So when you have the realisation and when you know what it is that you're looking for, how do you have those conversations? Mm. And not every culture, not every business culture is going to be you know, looking really obvious to be open to those conversations. Mm. But generally we find if people raise them in the right way mm. um, and they get some clarity of what they're wanting to achieve, that actually it's not Does as help. difficult as, as what they think so it So what would be. be, let's think really practically here for the people listening, what mm. would be some tools that they could use mm. to have those conversations? Like? Yeah. Well, it, getting some black and white on things is really helpful. Mm-hmm. So like within our business, we've created... Um, uh, sideline sort of for us called Crafted Career Program and this isn't just to advertise that it is to say that this is why we've created it is to go people are wanting help but they don't know how to do it they want more than reading a book they want to get something that goes here's some black and white that shows me these are the skills that actually I really want to build on these are the ones that I don't want to be building on these are the values I'm looking to align with and actually the ones I've got in my current workplace maybe aren't aligning um, so we're working through you know practical elements like that um, So actually getting people to sit down and go, here's something to break it down into smaller pieces. So for someone who's, you know, just wanting to do that for themselves, write a list of the things that you really enjoy doing and that you're good at. Look at that list and go, am I actually getting to make use of those things? Uh, Are they the things that I get to do the most on my day-to-day basis? You know, we all have things, parts of our job that we're like, that's not my favourite, but Mm. you can dip in and out of it. But if you're doing something that's really outside of the things you like to do. So I I did a coaching program with someone earlier this year who had been having some trouble at work. Um, And, you know, great employers go, let's have a conversation about that. And it might be better to have it with an independent person rather than at someone internally, because Mm -hmm. then they don't necessarily want to open up and talk too much about those things. Um, And when we did that activity with her, looking at her transferable skills and what is she good at and what is she currently doing, uh, it was obvious to her straight away that where her role had moved to, so it had been a good fit for her to start with, Mm. but over the five years that she'd been working on a project, she had now moved into a place where it was all the things that she didn't like doing right, (laughs) and and wasn't so great at. And they weren't things that she wanted to get better at. That's another thing. Mm. You might not be good at them, but you want to be better at them. That's a great development opportunity. But when you're looking at it and thinking, that's all stuff that I really don't like and I'm not going to be liking anytime soon. Okay, so then what do we start looking at? The same thing happened when we looked at values. So when we looked at what her things were that she really valued in her career and compared it to what the business was valuing at the time, they didn't align. Mm. So having some of that where you go, actually, it's not just me feeling like I'm having a bad day or I'm getting frustrated, but I don't know why. Mm. It might be the interaction with the people you're working with. It might be that the projects change. It might be that there's change happening that doesn't align with where you want to be. Mm. And then going, okay, with some of that clarity, what do I want to do about it? Yeah. The interesting dynamic there is that, you know, we start out at a certain position, like we're hired for a certain role or a mm. certain project. Mm. If we do it well, sometimes we get promoted mm. or, you know, moved over to here. Mm. And sometimes that isn't, you know, we got promoted because of how great we were at this thing. Mm. And now we're in this other role and all of a sudden we're supervising seven people yeah. and having to write reports to the manager about the mm. progress. But mm. actually we just really loved doing the yeah. mahi, the work of whatever it was. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to be processing people's leave and dealing with people's issues with each other because they don't like each other so much right now. <laughs> you mm. know, like that's not the same kind of skill set and things that you really like to be doing as yeah. what it would be doing the actual role you were doing before. Yeah. But that's where often I think people feel like it's going to be detrimental to their career if they say, I'm not going to take that opportunity that's been presented to me. Yeah. Um, and for some, it's actually just a cautionary approach. You know, we were talking before about some of that psychology side of things. There are people who are more cautious towards change mm. that need more time and information to change. So they might naturally go, actually, I don't need any more change. I'm going to just stay where I am. Mm. COVID-related at the moment, we're finding that a lot. People are just going, I'm change exhausted. Right. 
Every time there's a news announcement, I don't know whether we're going up a level, down a level, round a level. I don't know what the new framework looks like. I want so some certainty. I want some certainty. I just want to do what I do. Yeah, yeah. which also means there's a lot less movement within the market. So mm. people are staying where they're most comfortable um, for those, that kind of person. Mm. Um, equally, we've got people who are doing reevaluating and going, actually, I really like getting more time at home. I like not having to commute. I like um, getting to work on something else that isn't just... Mm-hmm. my paid work so I'm going to find a way to balance those and I mm-hmm. had a client actually the week after uh, lockdown ended for sort of the South Island um, had four people resign mm-hmm. and that was out of a team of 30 so that's a massive change for a small business to go mm-hmm. okay we've got four people going and none of them are things that they could do anything about mm-hmm. it wasn't because they were disgruntled it wasn't because they weren't getting opportunities Two of them wanted to work in bigger businesses mm. where you can't change yourself <laughs> when you are the size that you are. One had decided he wanted to spend more time with his daughter and therefore decided to go back to an old career that gave him more of that just change of work pattern. And the other one was a young guy who said, I don't actually want to work, mm. which millennials are doing. Mm. I don't want to work like that. I don't want to work at all. I've got a bit of money in the bank. I'm going to take six months off and then reevaluate what I want to do. Yeah. Or I'm going to create something myself on the sideline. This is a tech business, so you know, got a skill set where you can develop all sorts of things online and do something for yourself and choose when you work. Mm. Well, this is the fascinating era that we're entering, and I think COVID mm. has accelerated what was coming anyway. Yeah. You know, like by a decade or maybe even two decades, I'm not sure. Mm. But it, all of a sudden, it sandwiched it in. And we've realized, you know, because I, I work as a lawyer and I'm getting people who are clients who are in Auckland or, you know, Tauranga, it doesn't really matter. Mm. And they've realized that um, because of technology, you know, mm. Zoom, mm. <laughs> we don't have to be in the same city as this person. Yeah. And I think for lots of workers as well, um, what I'm hearing is that at some point when borders are open and things, that people who right now they're working in Silicon Valley or London or New York, mm. the big rat race, like maybe they will say, I could live in Christchurch, New Zealand mm. and keep doing the work I'm doing, but just do it remotely. Yeah. You know, I think that's going to be a fascinating trend that we see where the, and big companies as well probably embrace it. It'll be like, yeah. you're happy, you're going skiing and and you're working for us and you just get the work done, that's all we care about. Absolutely. A couple of um, examples of that. We've got a client that's based between here and Wellington. And um, before COVID, they had all this amazing technology, but people were still jumping on planes and going and visiting each other because Mm. they like to be in the same room. Now, there's great value in that. There's great value in the social connection. We are social creatures. We're designed to connect. So that stuff was important. But they were really having trouble getting people to take up the technology that was available to them. And they'd spent a lot of money on it. Um, Since lockdown last year, their whole way of working has completely changed. Um, They now have one or two days a week where they actually have teams come together in the office, whether it's in Wellington or or Christchurch, and they hardly ever travel between those destinations um, because they've actually realised that they can do what they do on Teams and on Zoom and they've got all the technology that they need to have. So it actually pushed that forward Mm -hmm. really quite usefully. But it's changing workplaces, it's changing how you design your uh, office space. You don't need as much office space. I'm hearing a lot about the, the, the horrid hot desking situation. People are creating what they call cafe style seating. So it's about how you do connect and interact with people when you're in the office because when you're needing to do your concentrated work, you can do it from home. Mm-hmm. When there are times to connect and come in and you can do that together. But equally, um, one of the directors of our business um, owns his own sort of um, marketing business, and he's just had someone who's resigned to work for an American company from her home. Right. Yeah. And that's only going to happen more. Um, we have already we've seen for the last year or year and a half that people can't recruit from overseas, so they are trying to find internal talent within New Zealand, and that's not always working. So they are recruiting people just like now these American businesses are doing, and that's hard for New Zealand employers because they're going, we're having trouble getting people as it is. Now they're getting offered great money to work for overseas companies that might have a great um, brand or be known to be you know, quite mm. a, a cool company. Um, and people are choosing to do that and work from home and know that they will never meet, mm. well, certainly not in the foreseeable future, meet the people they're working with in person. Um, not everyone wants to work that way. But there are certainly more who are going, I'm okay with that. I get enough social connection in other areas in my work. I'm quite happy to be at home doing it by myself. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Can I just ask a question? Um, I'm really curious about what you said in terms of the practical tools for people when they're looking at 
you know, having these conversations. Mm. And what we can do is in the show notes, we can put links to things. Oh, yeah. So make sure to send me the link and then people can, mm. if they're listening now, they can find it and click it and then yeah. find out more. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that strikes me is that I've always viewed it like a bell, you know, like think of a bell. If you strike it, you can hear it really clearly. Mm. But if you put it on the table and it's not allowed to resonate, then you strike it and there's no sound. Mm. And and the question as people is how can we learn what it is that when we're struck, you know, that that we resonate out and it, it makes us sing. Mm. Um, so just thinking through a little bit deeper on that, what we were talking about, mm. how can people uncover what it is that does make them resonate, that does yeah cause that sense of joy through their work I love asking really simple questions and this might be something for anyone else to and if they're listening to this to just get a piece of paper and sort of jot down what comes to mind straight away mm-hmm. is to think about what do I look like what do I feel like when I'm at my best right what does that look like what am I doing who am I with what's the environment like and actually take a few minutes to just do a really quick kind of journal writing. So we like to do free form kind of journaling where you just literally have a piece of paper and you get a question and you just write about it. Mm-hmm. And I'd sort of prompt everyone to go, what is it that is you at your best? What does that look like in terms of a day you've had that you finished that day and go, man, I had an awesome day today. Mm-hmm. What, did, what was involved in that day? Were there certain people you were talking to? Were there certain topics you were talking about? Did you get to help someone? Um, and equally then doing the reflective on the other side. So at your worst... What do you look like? What's happening for you? And what are you responding to? What is it that you're going through? What is it that you're dealing with? And then it's the third piece, which is what happens in between those two places. Mm. Because we want to find the way to be more of our best self and less of our worst self, knowing that there are always times that we go into the we're not coping with something very well. COVID's been a great one for that. People are getting to a point of just overwhelm constant change, unknown futures, all that kind of stuff, completely okay to feel like that's all too much. Mm. So to be able to go, you know, what is it that actually I want to get more of? And that can help with when you're looking at your career, going, what are those things that I really want to get more of? Mm. If it's that I want to spend more time doing this thing that when I do it in my personal life, I love, what's the first step towards getting to that? Mm. Because the idea of a complete career change, a career shift is obviously pretty daunting for most people. And it might require... A change in salary but I've got a lifestyle that requires this certain level of salary sure so one of the activities that we do with people is called perceived constraints so we actually get them to think about what is it that they think is in the way between them getting from where they are to where they want to be and that's things like age qualifications location um, family commitments all those sorts of things mm-hmm. um, and some of them will be real you know if you have a mortgage that has to be paid at a certain level it's a pretty real constraint um, But equally, if you start looking at those things and going, what would I be willing to change about it so that I have more freedom of choice? You know, if it's actually that the house I have isn't really necessary for what I need anymore. Maybe my kids have moved out and I don't need the big house anymore. Actually, I could use that to free up some money to be able to do something that's more satisfying for me. Mm. Um, I think the thing that earthquakes and COVID have kept reminding us over and over again is that life's short, right? And we spend a lot of time doing our day-to-day work. Mm. So are we doing the things that we're really like doing and want to be doing more of and if not how do we take control of that and our whole crafted career program is about that it's about going how do you drive that change for yourself don't wait for someone else to prompt that conversation don't wait for someone to hand you that job on a platter actually go what is it that I want to be doing and how do I start moving myself there and don't think of the end point think of what's next just one bit at a time yeah it's what works for resilience generally right it's going what do I have control of or what do I have influence over? And what do I need to do right now? Not what do I need to do 20 steps down the, the track? Because that track may have moved by then. Yeah. Um, that end goal may not be the goal that you originally thought it was. Because once you start getting some information, once you start talking to people or having connections or doing some kind of training, you might find that actually what you thought you wanted to do is just part of what you're actually ending up doing. It's something mm. that might be quite different. Mm. I think we get quite fixed. That whole fixed mindset we were talking before about growth mindset beforehand um, is massive. Um, because that's where we often go, well, this is what I do. I've done it forever, comfort zone stuff. Um, When I first started doing career work with people, it was coming out of redundancies, which is a horrible situation for anybody to go through. I never have met someone who goes, that was great. (laughs) I loved getting made redundant. Mm. But I have met lots of people who have been through 
career support after they've been made redundant who go, oh my goodness, I should have done that myself a long time ago. Right, yeah. Because they actually have stopped and reflected and spent time thinking about where do they want to be, what do they want to be doing, what haven't they been enjoying. We stay doing what we're doing often out of comfort, out of security. It might be the people you work with, it might be the people you get to help um, it might be that you're actually you're getting paid really well and you don't think you're going to get that somewhere else. Mm. And I'd, that's where the value piece comes in as well, to go, well, are mm. they really the things that you want to align with right now? Mm. And can you find them somewhere else? Because I find that often with people who are looking to drive their own change that they're worried that they won't find the things they do like somewhere else. Mm. I work somewhere that's really flexible and I don't think I'm going to get that somewhere else. Talk to them about it. If that's part of your question set when you're going to look at a new job or a new sort of angle for yourself, find out what does that look like? If work-life balance is like number one for you, what does it actually look like in that business? Because everyone loves to say work-life balance is high on their agenda. Talk to someone in the team who's a working parent or that has the kind of commitments that you have and go, can I have a coffee with that person? Mm. Recruitment is about a two-way process. I think it used to be a lot about if I go to an interview, I have to want to get that job. At the end of it, I have to, like, even if it doesn't sound like me, I'm like, well, I've got to win. I've got to get it. Um, and nowadays, it's far more two-way. Yeah. Is it the right fit for me as much as it being the other way around? Yeah. yeah, that's so good. And I have a feeling that somebody out there is listening right now <laughs> yep. and feeling maybe even a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> in yeah. terms of like, why Why do I do it? Why am I where I am? You know, like yeah. asking those hard questions, though, yeah. um, I think it's because in some ways, I take heart, though. I don't know what you found, but I think people are more willing to go there mm. and more willing to be a bit vulnerable and, and to ask these sorts of questions. And yeah. I think you're right. There's triggers that come in life, you know, whether it's the, the birth of a child or moving to a new country or COVID, mm. where we're given opportunities to kind of reimagine what our future might be. And I think hopefully for the people listening, this is a, a little bit of a push to say, you know, how, how are you traveling? And maybe it's time to think about these things. Um, somebody, I think you've been along as well to some of the, like Brene Brown's, yes. you know, Dare to Lead type of workshops and mm. things. And, and Kyla Colbin runs those here in Christchurch and throughout the country, actually. So mm. shout out to her. Um, but that sort of, that's becoming a little bit more mainstream. Whereas mm. I think even a decade ago, like if you'd said like vulnerability is important, like I don't think people would have gone what what are you talking about yeah. whereas you know that dare to lead book she goes through and, and talks about you know which words are you most resonating with yeah. and and how does that help you guide mm. you know where you're going absolutely because I think when it comes down to what are the things that really matter to you and you can create that list for yourself and then compare it to what is it that I'm actually doing compared mm. to my list of things I really value yeah, that's right and yeah. I've had a couple of people this year who've looked at their list and gone oh there's only one in my top eight that I'm actually currently having met and what I'm doing. No wonder I feel so out of place. So what am I going to do about it? Yeah. Um, because otherwise we often think about it and go, oh, there's something not quite right, but I'm not really sure what it is. Um, and then, you know, we might have some force change on us when we see anything go, but oh, I'm not really prepared for that. Mm. Career conversations don't have to happen just when it's time for change. They can be happening all the time. Just like a CV is not a document you create when you're applying for a job, it is a lifelong document. It is something that you keep alive, that you have kind of what I'd like to term a library CV, so you have a whole lot of information in there, mm -hmm. and then when it's time to use it, you pull out the bits that are most relevant for the job you might be applying for. But keeping in mind that most jobs these days aren't advertised. They're not done in the traditional way. You know, mm. they used to be in the newspaper. You mm. get the Saturday paper and it would have all these ads in it for anyone who's young enough uh, to not know what we're talking about there. Um, that's what they used to do. And nowadays it's all online. But actually most jobs come through connections. Mm. So who are you willing to be able to have a conversation with that see, you say, this is something I'm looking at doing at some point, or these are the things I really enjoy doing? If you ever hear of someone who's looking for you know, somebody like that, we hear those examples all the time. Mm where it is an opportunistic conversation that someone goes, gosh, we need someone like that, or I know someone who's looking for somebody like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, an example of that was Helen, my business partner, uh, does mountain biking with her, a group of friends, and one of them said you know, one week about how she'd been trying to recruit someone for a role. They were having real trouble. They just weren't getting the kind of candidates they were looking for. Um, the next week, 
still haven't been able to find someone and, and she just prompted her with, you know, are you still open to applications because my niece has just finished a course and, you know, I think she could be quite relevant for what you're looking for. Oh, yeah, well, the applications have closed, but if she can get it to me by Monday, you know, get something done. And most people go into panic mode then if it's sort of a short time frame to get something done. So this is why the, the living document is so important. Mm. Um, but she ended up with the job, and it wasn't because it was her auntie that put her forward for the job. She was the right person for the job, but she never would have heard about the job if it wasn't for her auntie being out for a mountain bike ride with a friend. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff that it's, you know, okay, for young people maybe that feels a bit easier. As we get older, we sort of go, oh, you know, we have to secretly talk about what we might be wanting to do one day, and we mm. don't necessarily talk to our current employer about it. Uh, and I think that's actually a real downfall, and I'd love people to be far more open about those conversations because it's not realistic to stay somewhere forever anyway. Mm. Very few employers are going to recruit people and go, right, they're here for the next 20 years, we're good now. Mm. Most people stay in roles two or three years these days, maybe longer. How do we keep them wanting to stay a bit longer? By having conversations about... What do they actually enjoy? What are they wanting to do? Where is the growth that they're looking for? What mm. challenges are they wanting? Um, or if it's that their time is up, let's have an open conversation about that because we can be starting to plan for what happens next within the business mm. rather than a last minute, oh, yeah, here's my notice and I'm, I'm out in four weeks. Yeah. You know, that's not – no one really recruits in four weeks anymore because everyone has to give pretty much four weeks' notice, if not more. Pretty mm. normal now to give more notice. So, you know, for the business's perspective, there's actually a real benefit in knowing that you've got someone who's looking to do something else. And if it's something you can't personally help with, maybe you can connect them with someone who can. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about networks and, and helping others on mm. the journey, isn't it? Mm. And I'm interested in just picking up on that point, it, just from the Brene Brown thing, in terms of the what are your motives or what, what really makes your heart sing you know and if you take the time to reflect on it and if you write down creativity creativity is important to me as a person Mm. and then you think about your job and it it, you know there's not that much creativity but then having that generative conversation with the employer and saying look I would love to do something where I can use my skills in whatever that is and creativity is an example And, and they might then turn around and say well actually we want to do a marketing campaign or or run some social media things and maybe this is something that you could learn about InDesign and mm. start designing us some brochures or who knows what it is. But yeah. if, if you, I guess what we're saying, and this is good for all of us to remember, if, if you're not sure what you want to do, then how can you have those conversations, you know? Absolutely. Um, having some clarity about this is something I'd like to do more of or something I'd like to try and being able to have a conversation. For one thing, if you're working with someone who says, well, that's not going to happen here, you've got your job, stick where you are, I'd be questioning, is that the place you really want to be? Mm, yeah. <laughs> but in most cases, you can have those conversations and people will create opportunities or connect you into something. Um, it, they won't know if you don't say Mm. they don't know that you've got an interest in something different from what you're currently doing they don't know that you're feeling like you've kind of met your peak with what you can do in your current role mm. have the conversations um, mm. and it does take courage to do that mm. it, and that's a big piece that Brene talks about is courage and vulnerability I might have to say to someone although this feels uncomfortable look I'm actually finding I'm not really enjoying my role anymore but I think I know what it is that I'm looking for mm-hmm. That's a much better... I don't know a single manager who doesn't prefer that approach to the, I'm not happy, here's my letter of resignation. Right. (laughs) You know, like, which would any of us want to get? We'd want to get the, let's talk about it and see what we can do first. Yeah. Because they might also go, yeah, actually, I think you probably have reached your peak here, but let's help you find what you can do next. Mm. Or let's have an understanding that in the next six months, you're going to be looking for something else. Yeah. So I have a scenario for you. You've Mm. got somebody who's been in a job for a while, and I'm just thinking, playing it through, like if they come to somebody like you to talk through the options and things, what have you seen in terms of transforming or helping to open up their eyes to Mm. what was and what could be? Um, I've got a beautiful example of that actually from this year where a lady um, was at one of my workshops and she emailed me like two weeks later and said, that timing of that conversation was perfect. Um, she had been in a role that she'd really just found she'd done enough of. Um, it, it's going through lots of change and she knew that those changes weren't ones that she wanted to be a part of. And she'd seen a role that was a contract role, it was a fixed term role. And she'd gone for it and got it. And she was just amazed that she'd even just thought about doing something that wasn't permanent. Mm. To, when we tested her perceived constraints, she had realised that 
you know, there was nothing bad to come from doing a one-year contract that could possibly lead into longer or it could turn into permanent or she could find that actually dipping her toe into that industry wasn't the industry that she wanted and therefore she might change direction into something else. It actually gave her freedom rather than feeling like she had to go straight from one thing to another. Now, that worked for her. But it's as simple as that where you get to think about not just is it the right industry for me or the right job for me, but is the structure of the work the right thing that I'm looking for? So I've had people who have gone and created their own businesses um, or that they've been doing that originally but didn't think that it was at a place to be able to go to kind of as their main income stream. So they've looked at transition roles where they might be doing contract work or um, consulting or something to be able to kind of have more freedom for that. Um, but yeah, we've seen people go and retrain and become something completely different. Mm. Um, they're all quite, you know, they're big changes. They take quite a lot of commitment. Just as transform transformative for some of these people as making a small change is having a conversation. Um, that kind of uh, technical versus management role I was talking about before, this woman that I did a program with a couple of years ago, every time I see her actually at one of my regular clients, or it just has a massive smile on her face and says, I would never have got to where I ha am now if we hadn't had that conversation. So our first conversation, she said to me, well, I think I'm going to be a manager. And I said to her, what does that involve in your mind? What is it going to give you, what do you do on a daily basis in that role? And she actually had no idea. Mm. She was a technically brilliant engineer. And she felt that that was the place for her to get a step right. up. Yep. <laughs> and when we talked about it, she was like, I don't want to be doing any of those things. I want to be doing what I do, but I want to you know, be doing it in a new team or to be able to kind of get some status for it, get a different title for it. Mm -hmm. um, and so she was able to drive those conversations and has been able to stay in the same business and is completely loyal to that business because they've delivered what she wanted mm. uh, and is absolutely ecstatic with what she gets to do now. Mm. So, you know, the transformation doesn't have to be from A to Z. It can be A to B. Yeah, yeah. One of the words that you've used quite a lot, which is helpful, I think, is that perceived constraints. Yeah. You know, like that's such a great way of describing it, that you think something is a barrier and I, I could never do contract work. But by doing that, you're just shutting off all this potential, mm. all this other options that would be open if you didn't have that you know, perceived constraint. And I think that's where you come back to the, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Mm. Does the contract option and not contracting is not going to work for everyone, but using that example is to go, it might not be that it delivers everything you're looking for, but it delivers a lot more than what your current situation does. And everything's temporary. I think we've all found that pretty <laughs> regularly in the last few years. Everything is temporary. So if you try something and find it doesn't work, there's no reason why you can't go back to being employed in-house. Yeah. When you're having an interview with someone and they're saying, oh, so you know, what was that change for? Well, it was because of this, I tried it, I've had these realisations, and now I know certainly this is what I'm wanting to do. That gives an employer more reassurance that you're heading in the right direction, right? Mm. And that you know what it is that you're wanting. Mm. People get so concerned about blips on their CV. Mm. If they're explainable, don't worry about it. Yeah. God, we could get into CVs, we could be here for hours. But um, CVs are one of those things that I think we have a lot of perceptions around what should and shouldn't go in. And everyone's going to give you different advice on that. Um but at the end of the day, if it's tailored to the role that you're going for, you take out all the dross that's not appropriate for the role you're applying for. You don't go too far back. You don't have to have every job you've ever had. And I get that people have this value of going, but that was really cool stuff I did 30 years ago. Is it still relevant? Mm. If it is, keep it in. If it's not, take it out. Yeah. Um, but then they're like, oh, then they won't know every job I've done. That's okay. You can always talk about it. Yeah. This is a snapshot of who you are. And thinking about that, psychology of how do I get someone to go I want to talk to that person make it easy for them to find the information that they need about you to go I want to know more about them yeah yeah that's right mm. well it's been fascinating talking with you and what we'll do is in the show notes we'll put a link to the website yeah I'm sure there's resources and other yeah, things absolutely. yeah um, and yeah maybe we can set up a, a part two at some point because I'm sure there's a lot of other topics that we could dive into even yeah. like personality tests and yes you know yeah. Are they good or are they helpful or are they not? I did a post on LinkedIn a couple, uh, maybe two months ago, mm -hmm. about uh, I'd done a personality test and I said, well, it was it was interesting, it was helpful, it, you know. And then somebody posted something else saying, personality tests aren't worth the paper they're written on because they just confirm the already existing bias that we have. Yeah. You know that when you're filling in the answers, you're kind of knowing what you're 
putting down <laughs> so oh yeah there's lots in that yeah. um and and the really interesting thing about that is it's not to look at it as a piece of information by itself and put people in a box yeah it's about helping to understand your differences to someone else so a lot of the use that we have for and we don't call them personality tests mm. um they're just a profiling tool so it gives you an idea of where you sit compared to other people and mm. using that in a team environment you can actually adapt your behavior to get the best out of an interaction with someone rather than having your cookie cutter approach that, well, this is who I am, take me or leave me, which mm-hmm. some people like to do. Um, is that working for you? Is it getting you what you're needing? Mm-hmm. Um, and if not, then how can you adapt into those different styles? But a really important filter on that is that emotional intelligence piece that I was talking about with kids learning it. It's like, man, mm-hmm. if, if the adults I work with had that earlier, often the people who are creating some tension at work are the ones who need to work on that part. And that's something you can grow and develop. So, yeah, that would absolutely be a great topic for another conversation. (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess that's the encouraging thing, you know, is that we can change and we can grow. And I think that's something that's come out of this conversation. Yeah. But, yeah, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. It's been great to talk with you because we've we've gone all over the place, really, when you think about it. Yeah. But just hearing about your origins, you know, where you grew up, what interested you, even diving into dance. That was really interesting to hear yeah. about um, that the background. The secret life of before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the background there. Um, and But also um, how psychology was something that interested you in university and got you into that sort of human resources area. Mm. But then that you yourself are an example of somebody who started on a career, you know, doing auditing and mm. then was able to transition out and do something else. And mm. so I think that, I think, people who have a bit of background and can actually say, you know, this was my journey, mm. you know, it gives you a bit of legitimacy to be advising others. Yeah. Um, and what we'll do is we'll put in the show notes the links to things yeah, and cool. that way people can find out more. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm you. always open for people just if they want to just get in touch and have a chat and kind of work out, you know, if something we can offer can be of use or not or just have a general chat, I'm always happy to have that as well. So, yeah, if they want to contact me. Always welcome. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview. For me, there were a bunch of things that stood out, and in particular, some of those thoughts around how you transition from where you are in your career to where you might want to be. I hope you found those helpful, and if you did, why not consider sharing this with another person? Until next time.